I think the solution to that is DBT. I could operate a validator with three or four separate parties. I might have like Coinbase and like Blockdaemon as operators or shared key holders of my validator. And then some type of smart contract, multi-sig, smart account kind of thing where I can enter into a contract with you and you can take over the control of my validator. Scraping Bits is brought to you by the following sponsors. MEV Protocol. Maximize your ETH staking value with MEV ETH exclusively on MEV.io and Composable. Execute any intent on any chain coming soon to mantis.app. That's M-A-N-T-I-S dot A-double-P. GM, GM, everyone. My name is Degachi, the host of Scraping Bits, and today I'm with Nate. How's it going, friend? Fantastic. I'm glad to finally get this on the calendar and hop on here. I'm glad you came on. We had to shuffle around a few times, but we're finally here. And just for the people that don't know who you are, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so I operate adjacent as something on the side. I also have a full-time job as well. But over the, like the last like two years here, you know, I've been in crypto for a while. And over the last two years, I've gotten like super interested in two categories, which are infrastructure that is needed to operate a lot of these DeFi protocols. This starts with like validators and sequencers and stuff. But once you start looking at other infrastructure components that are needed, you start to like talk about liquidators and keepers and fillers and various like arbitrage bots and, and all of that, right? And I think a lot of that can be chalked up to Mev and stuff. Then when you start to look at some other exchanges or DeFi protocols that don't have as much usage as others, it's like, okay, well, at the end of the day, like the founding team is running the keepers and fillers or the liquidators for it, right? So, you know, for teams that we support, we like to like operate infrastructure with them and alongside them. And then the second category is this kind of like emerging DeFi trend of new or like differentiated approaches to like the derivative markets, whether that is interesting approaches to like options or perps in terms of the actual construction of the markets and the the physical instruments or in just kind of like the general category of bringing these derivatives on chain. I think that tagline quote is when you look at like TradFi markets, derivatives trade at like 10x the volume of spot or something like that. And when you look at like the derivative markets in crypto, especially when you look at them in terms of like DeFi derivative markets, they're a fraction of the spot. So those are kind of our two general interests. And, you know, we operate infrastructure around that, you know, write research around the derivatives side and the different approaches, as well as do some manual and automated trading around those DeFi protocols. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had someone else on before that's creating an options kind of platform. And he used to do statistical MEV, like statistical arbitrage MEV. And he's building Valorum, which is like a permissionless options platform. So it kind of sounds like you're dabbling in the same kind of field, right? If derivatives is the same, what's options? I'm not actually too smart at that. So I guess what is a TLDR on derivatives and perpetuals? Yeah, absolutely. We are definitely like operating the same space as Valorum is. We're just like the end user rather than the founder of the exchange, right? right. right? So yeah, I mean, like derivatives is kind of like a pretty open field, I would say, especially when it comes to pretty well established in the TradFi markets, right? But like when it yeah. comes to like implementing them within DeFi, there's kind of a lot of different approaches you can take. And that does kind of come to like one of the more interesting parts of what we do, which is kind of like, there's not much standardization across the derivatives markets outside of like perps, which leads to like differentiated market or instrument construction. But I guess the TLDR is like, there's really like one primary derivative that people trade in crypto, which is a perp. 
you know, a perpetual future as opposed to what is much more commonly known as like an expiring future or like a fixed future, which would be you would you generally trade these fixed futures in the commodity markets, oil, corn, orange concentrate. And the primary difference from going from the fixed to the perpetual or like non-expiring where there's not like an expiry date, you know, ha has been kind of this introduction of the funding rate, which when it was kind of like introduced kind of back in the day, it was a weird component, right? Oh, all of a sudden, like every like hour or like every eight hours or whatever, there's this variable rate that like I may receive or I may have to pay. Mm. Right. But in turn, what it provides us is this like really nice way to get leverage on either direction of the market on just about any asset. Right. I, I feel like a lot of people on chain that do a majority of their trading on chain right now, like are generally just spot based, right? They're buying stuff like Uniswap or, or VL or AMMs, whatever. But anyone really trading on like a centralized exchange outside of those that are like geo restricted or if you're like outside the US, right? Like you're probably just trading perps on Binance. It's just kind of the most liquid market. It provides you a lot of functionality. You know, it's very easy to leverage. Like how does it work? If I wanted to buy a perp, what does that mean? And how do I make money from it? Yeah, sure. So like at the most basic level, a perp just tracks like an index rate of the underlying or the spot asset. Mm -hmm. So if we were talking about like Bitcoin perp, the Bitcoin perp is going to track the spot price of Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. And for very liquid markets, it's essentially the exact same. It tracks it really, really well. And that's the same thing with regards to a normal future market, right? Like normal futures right. track the price of the underlying, but they have this time component, right? I could buy like a six month out future, which mm. would track the expected value of the asset over the next six months. Perps do not have that. The funding rate is what kind of like tethers, if you will, the price of the perp to the spot or the underlying, right? In a normal future, the time or the expiration time is kind of what tethers that rate closer to the underlying price, right? If I was to buy like a six month future now, it might have a few percentage different in price. But as I approach six months, the price of that future should essentially be the same price as spot. Similarly, on the perp side, since there is no expiration, the funding rate is really what tethers the price back to spot. Okay. So a walkthrough of the funding rate would be something like, let's say like Bitcoin is trading at like 30,000 and maybe the perp is trading at like 31K or something. There should be a way to incentivize more traders to short the perp so that the price 31K is closer to 30,000, which is the underlying. So the funding rate will be skewed towards those shorting, meaning that the long side pays the shorts. So you might see like a funding rate of a few percentages points or a tenth of a percentage point or something like that. It's kind of based on what time the exchange settles it. Some exchanges settle it every hour, some eight, some 24, and how they represent it. Sometimes people like represent it as like a yearly like APY or sometimes people represent mm -hmm. it like within the time of the settle. So if I was someone that had like longed Bitcoin at 31K, every hour I might have to pay 1% of my balance to those that are shorting. Oh, okay. And the whole idea is to incentivize longs to close their position and or shorts to enter the position so that the actual price of the perp more accurately reflects the spot price. Okay, got you. And what is the like, real benefit of the perps and the macro game? Yeah, so probably twofold. For the first fold is it allows you to easily long and short an asset. Okay. If I wanted to like short some asset on chain, right now, right, where there maybe isn't a well-built out perp or other derivative market for it, yeah, yeah. right? I'd probably have to do some type of interactions with the lending protocol. I'd have to hope that someone would be willing to lend to me and your variable on the rate on that side, right? So it's, it becomes like a much easier way to short an asset. Okay. And additionally, it's not like the actual like spot asset 
and it's just tracking the underlying price. Given the margining system of whatever exchange you're using, it allows you to easily apply leverage. So like it's pretty common to get like two and a half, five, 10 X leverage, whatever. If you're going crazy on Rollbit, Underdex leverage or something like that. But yeah, so those are the two main benefits. Now that I know this, I think there's going to be some mechanism to prevent someone lash loaning and manipulating the underlying pool. It depends on, you know, the asset class. Like if it's a shit coin, right? <laughs> and you've built perps on this, you could probably flash loan, inflate the underlying, and then wouldn't that cause the perps to get artificially manipulated? Yeah, so this is interesting, right? So not exactly a flash loan, but you might remember like a little bit ago, I think his name was like Avi. He was like the mango exploiter on Solana, right? He did something similar on mango. He like spiked the price and he had the long sitting on Binance or something. So he just deposited a lot on both platforms and, you know, manipulated it like that, right? And like, obviously, like, he's got all this legal action and stuff against him for manipulation and all that stuff, right? But like, it definitely has happened. They can be manipulated more given the leverage and the longing and shorting that's available. I wouldn't say it's any more easier to manipulate than like a lending and borrowing market or something like that. You know, and I guess like we have seen manipulation and problems with lending and borrowing markets and flash loans before, right? It's like all Oracle based in some way, which is, I think, one of the biggest attack vectors. It's just like a dependency on an Oracle. And we have this thing where you can borrow multi-millions and then interact with that. Nobody really takes account of it. So yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah, we're starting to see now, right? Like, I mean, Florum and stuff has oracle and we're starting to like see like some like other protocols and other derivative protocols come out with kind of like a primary framing that their main benefit is their Oracle free. This is a little bit more in the option space. You know, you can see Primitive, they have like their like replicated market makers and Panoptic kind of has their replicated Uniswap V3 uh, option payoffs. But like you can start to see this kind of like push towards Oracle free stuff, which is pretty cool to kind of see like those markets develop. And now that we know the underlying of derivatives and petrols, what are you doing now adjacent? Yeah. So as we see these brand new implementations of markets, especially when they are trying to like introduce Oracle free stuff, there's often like really interesting trades that can be set up. Either just people aren't really like as in tune to like how that given market has been set up or instrument has been set up. They just aren't interested in it for one way or another. But some of them that we've done in the past that are interesting or can give you like a feel for like trades or things that we might be interested in going forward are the open team. I don't, it might be like about a year ago now released this product called Squeef, right? Which is based on the Power Perpetual paper that came out of Paradigm. The idea is it basically just tracks ETH squared, the price of like what ETH squared would be. And that has like certain benefits as a trader that purely wants to just like long Squeef and get outsized exposure relative yeah. to straight 2x leverage, right? But there was this interesting relationship between Power Perps and Squeef, traditional options, right? So stuff that you might like trade on like Durbit and LP positions on Uniswap V3. And the interesting relationship kind of comes with all three of those can be like broken down into Greeks. And Greeks are metrics that are like easy to understand rate of change and, and how option prices move relative to other factors, right? So all three of these products can be broken down into those Greeks, meaning yeah. that if I have specific Greeks or metrics on, on each one of them, they can easily be traded against each other. So like you could even think of like something like, for example, I'm going to say I'm trading, or in this case, it would be ETH, right? Like say I have like an ETH USDC LP pair at like a certain tick range on USDC 3 and I'm going to combine that with selling a put and I'm going to combine that with longing squeak or something like that. And it kind of just is this triangular arbitrage capturing uh, value across them. And the interesting thing is those Greek values should all kind of be similarly priced any given time, right? given they 
are, are similar instruments, but it was kind of never really the case. And a lot of that is just due to like lack of understanding the relationship between them or like lack of users on Squeef side, right? Or the fact that like on the Uniswap side, fees never really compensate LPs as much as they should or due to some mispricing on Durabit. There's always just kind of these like interesting peculiarities between all of them. Yeah, it sounds very complex. <laughs> Man, it, it just sounds like a massive rabbit hole of, like just on the surface level, it's very getting complex. So how long did it really take you to learn all this stuff is what I'm interested in. If someone wanted to get into derivatives, perpetuals, etc., what would you do to get to know where you're at now, but in a faster way? I mean, I do think it is like generally complex, but it's really not like if you've been kind of like immersed in it for a while, right? So that's kind of what I just did. I kind of realized two years ago, like I don't think I'm like, I'm not really a good trader per se, of like actually like understanding like, you know, I'm going to go like scalp some perps and stuff, right? But I had a lot of interest in new market design and instruments and stuff. So the first thing I did was I built like an awesome list. And this is kind of how I've like learned stuff going forward. So like on my GitHub, I just have awesome DeFi derivatives. And I mean, it's just a huge, huge list of papers and, and people's like writings and tweets and, and like tons of different protocols and all their documentation for like how they might like go about implementing stuff. So as I was aggregating all of that, like I obviously read through all of the content and kind of put it together, put it out. And this is actually how I started getting some like initial traction on Twitter as well, like posting these awesome lists and, and some threads explaining some of the protocols and stuff. And then from that awesome list, I would write like 10,000 or so like word blog posts about differences between protocols, similarities, you know, which ones I think are, are like more interesting than others and the general state of that market in that regard that the DeFi derivative market. And I think like through that, like I kind of understood a good amount of like where stuff's at. I also then like set up some like Telegram channels and, and I'm a really heavy user of Twitter lists. So I'd like start curating like every single new DeFi derivative protocol into a list and just tracking every single new release and, and where it's at. You know, I'd, I'd reach out to the founders or they'd reach out to me and we just kind of chat a little bit about each, each new market and stuff. And then really, yeah, from there, it was just kind of picking up this information after like setting up like really good base understanding and kind of like good rails in terms of information coming in. Yeah, I think that's true of everything. I have experienced as well. I'm going through the phase of researching through papers, which is like kind of a new kind of field to me. But it's very interesting because that's what a lot of the innovation is in terms of the theoretical side, which aren't necessarily implemented in the engineering side. It's more of just like, oh, this is theoretically possible, but we haven't done it. <laughs> and you can kind of scope out what hasn't been done. If you have like a creative mind and you have like a grand idea of the whole scene is what I've kind of realized as well. So it is definitely a great way. Immerse yourself in whatever field you want to get good at, right? <laughs> before this talk, you mentioned block space derivatives, which I think I've heard before in terms of selling block space, but that's probably not what this is. is it? Yeah, I mean, our primary focus at the moment, we have kind of our prior strategies and stuff but like i think this is kind of the newest frontier or like you know most like emerging product at the moment but like block space derivatives or like things relating to them have kind of been around for like a, like a little bit now right like back in the day where like we could like trade like the one inch gas token right um there's i think a lot of people have maybe like put out stuff around like even now it's private like order flow like through a builder or something right like basically let's say like hey i'm going to pay you a little bit up front so i can have the space in this block going forward all of that stuff i think makes a lot more sense and can be considered a little bit related to this in terms of like the actual physical usage of the block space and trading of it what i mean is a, is a little bit more of like trading the demand for it and then and this can kind of come out in like a few ways especially on the eth side 
but you know we're, we're interested in both the ETH side and on the on the Bitcoin side. So I'm, I'm happy to kind of like run through both of them because they're both very different markets from each other. So on, on the ETH side, right? If I were to like say like I wanted to like trade the demand for a given block going forward, that block has like a few components, which are the price of ETH, the subsidy of the block, and most importantly for ETH, the like MEV fees captured in that block, right? which vary between somewhere between like 20 or like 60 or like obviously like if it's a huge tip of the overall subsidy of that block, right? And that kind of means that like as a validator, you have pretty variable income. If we're talking in like terms of USD, right? Like you don't really know what you're making that day. You might have like an outsized tip to make a ton or you can make maybe like the average, right? A lot of these derivatives make a lot more sense from like a validator perspective. If I were to like give you the example that like you're a validator or like you're operating a set of validators or whatever, and maybe you were expected to make like $500 this month. That's just kind of what you kind of forecasted at the start of the month. And I say, okay, well, if you give me that revenue, I'll give you $475 right now. This is a way for you to like lock in your revenue both before you earn it, but also as a way to lock in for sure you're making $475. If ETH's price collapses in half, like by the end of the month, you're going to make 250, right? If for some reason, like across your data centers or your cloud providers or whatever, you had some outages and stuff, you may not receive your income because you know your validators might have as much uptime, right? Vice versa, I'm paying you 475 for future income that could have significant price increases. You could receive like a few ETH MEV tip and that's all the stuff I'm betting on and I would receive. The, like, the immediate flaw I've seen that is, first of all, you don't know in advance who's going to be the one confirming the block like the validator confirming it. So how would you deal with that, right? If you're saying, okay, from this validator, if you somehow knew deterministically that this guy is going to be the validator and let's say the 10th block from now, and then you wanted to sell this, that would theoretically work, but you don't know that. So how does that work? Yeah. And by the way, the protocol that like, you know, we're interested in on this ETH side would be Alchemia for anyone that is, is interested in, in something like this as well. They're currently in beta. So like you have to like think about it a little bit outside of that specific numbered block. And more so, I might expect my set of validators hit somewhere between three and five blocks this month, right? doesn't really matter what block it is. I think they're going to make about like three to five this month. And based off of that... It's not really like determining what block it is. It's just when it happens or if it happens, I have the rights to this basically. Yeah, it's like you're not trading a specific block or a specific spot in a block, which I think is kind of like more so what has been maybe tried in the past or, or like is what people are into now with buying specific block space from like builders and stuff. But this is more just like kind of like derivatives on top of that or abstracted a little bit away from that, where it's like I really care about the validator's revenue coming in. They forecast that their revenue is going to be somewhere between three and five blocks in a month. I think that they might only hit three or I think that ETH's price is going to go up, or I think that there's going to be a large NFT mint and there's going to be increased MEV activity in that month. So I think that their subsidy will actually go up and I actually want to purchase that revenue from them forward-looking. Like pay them before it's even happened just to get whatever happens when it happens. Exactly. It's kind of confusing, right? So like this one would be like, would be the instrument and it is a little bit confusing, but like essentially like for me as like a trader here, right? On like a given month, right? I might have specific views on you know where I think the price is going, where I think like the overall number of ETH stakers are in a given month, which is pretty much up only, where I think like the you know like rolling like average of like MEV tips might be in a given month, right? And I might only put that trade on like a few times a year, right? 
and it maybe doesn't even warrant me. Obviously, on the other side, I could just go spin up validators myself. For maybe that's just like something I don't want. I don't want to explore, right? And I mean, we run a few validators in, in terms of like it's easier to trade this for someone that maybe isn't as like infrastructure focused or wants to have a little bit more granularity in terms of something, right? And I think the granularity point becomes a lot more apparent in the Bitcoin side of things. So if we're like thinking about like block producers, like block producers in the Bitcoin network, right? Miners, a miner setup is insane. Like they have to get these special data centers. They get all these tons and tons and tons of miners that are getting shipped over from China. And the shipment times are like very, very variable and like unpredictable. Like they could be like between six months and 12 months. They have to pay for all this electricity. You know, energy prices are, are all over the place these days. And they just have to like manage this just massive, massive fleet. They have to have data center technicians and, and like operators and all this stuff, right? Compared to just throwing an ETH validator in the cloud and putting some collateral on it. So like they actually have a very significant amount of, of like operating expenses and overhead for these. So if I were to say like into having next year, I wanted or like post having next year or something, I wanted exposure to to miners and like fit hash rate because I feel like a lot of the network is going to drop off after having, given it's going to be unprofitable for those miners, right? And I kind of want to fill, you know, that gap and take some of the, the subsidies, right? If I want to do that, I should have already had orders in for new miners. Like it just takes such a long time to fully build out a mining operation. And who knows, maybe by the time having happens, my view changes. So these derivatives on top of the Bitcoin block space market, right? Where I can just trade, I think it's slowly becoming standardized as called like hash price which is a combination of transaction fees, hash rate slash difficulty, Bitcoin price, and like the block subsidy, right? I would much prefer to trade that than go set up a whole mining thing for a year and then tear it down the next year and set it back up and, you know? Um, and so on the Bitcoin side, which can also be done through Alchemia, but we're also uh, doing it through a, a mining pool called, called Buxor, who offers these derivatives as forwards we can express acute granularity for when we want. So they have bullet contracts, which are essentially just like a nice way of like saying like they're monthly contracts on specific months. So like if I wanted to, I could pick like, I want to short hash rate, hash price in the month of September. And then I'm going to long it in the month of November. You can pick very specific dates and very specific months with them, which is just kind of this, in my opinion, on the minor side, level of control that they haven't really seen before. And on someone that wants exposure to mining, something that's a lot easier for me to like grok and use. I think, how would it work though? Let's say on ETH, you know, when it's super active, you know, they've got the bull market, everybody's doing trading, or MEV bots making bank. And, you know, the fees are crazy during some of these times. And let's say you want us to get this, this block space right and then trade it as a derivative or or whatnot. I mean, what, what would the kind of market go kind of do though? Like, can you short and long this kind of derivative or is it you're just buying it and that's it? Yeah, so this is kind of interesting. And this kind of gets down to how the specific instrument is constructed, right? So on something like Okemia, they are what would be called like physically settled and over collateralized. So that means as a seller of like ETH revenue, I'm gonna need to post some like external like ETH or external USDC or something like that, just to make sure that like, I'm not contractually like obligated, right? But like I'm obligated by the collateral I posted to pay for, to pay my buyer, right? Just to make right. sure you follow through with the agreement and don't renege on it, right? And you know, you can buy and sell that and it's a swap. So you buy and sell when you desire, given there's a market for it. 
there's not necessarily like a like each contract does have like time on it right so like i might purchase like a month contract where i would receive like a month of validators revenue but there's not really a reason why like i can't sell that like i can't buy that month of revenue from a validator and then sell it to you right like in the month right on okay. the forward side it's kind of the same thing it's you know i might buy a month contract and at the end of that month like the contract would expire and be settled out but like if there's a buyer or, or seller or whatever within that month i can also sell it to them i guess you could also do bidding on this as well of if someone wanted to buy it out buy it from you you could have like an auction for it or something like that yeah exactly it is interesting like when you like compare it though to like trading like just like a normal like digital asset like bitcoin perps or whatever because like bitcoin perps like move very fast right like people are constantly trading them it's just like a very quick market or even some like altcoin on uniswap or whatever and these are like a lot slower moving right like bitcoin's difficulty addresses every two weeks maybe you update your view like every two weeks or every few months or whatever on the ethereum side again it's more measured in like days and weeks than it is in like seconds and milliseconds yeah you know? mm -hmm. i think one kind of pitfall from this is if you're a massive mev team right or you're doing some kind of trading, not even MBV, but just trading in general, and you want to buy, let's theoretically say you buy at like 50% of the, the validators. Actually, no, it's that's, that's unrealistic, but like maybe 10% of the validators <laughs> and you get 10% of the revenue you're putting in and maybe they just like swarm, swarm like that kind of block or that range or that time period and get all their fees back that they paid. I mean, that it's kind of like cornering the market in some sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess like there, there's definitely, you know, these interesting like scenarios or, or, or like possibilities to like think about where people can utilize these like gas or block space derivatives for significant profit or, or advantages in other markets, right? I guess like maybe like one of the easier ones to think about would be like Circle and USDC. When people kind of come to Circle and they like mint or redeem USDC, right? They just charge a flat fee for that USDC event. But like, obviously, like, you know, they're doing it on chain on Ethereum mainnet and fees are are definitely not static, right? So they're very, like extremely variable and can spike really high, right? So that actually becomes like a pretty big burden for a circle, right? In times of super low fees, maybe they're making a nice spread on that, but maybe they're paying $100 to like redeem a few hundred thousand dollars of USDC or something like that 20 times in a day or, or whatever. Like basically like if there's a ton of redemptions or a ton of mints in the day and they're only charging like 20 basis points or something or two basis points, whatever they charge. And the gas fees are just like hundreds and thousands of dollars. That's kind of crazy for them, right? So in turn, what they can do is given like a lot of those fees kind of flow to validators, right? Is they could go and purchase validators income, right? To hopefully like offset that variability in the fees that they have to pay for the minting and redeeming. Yeah, I guess at that point, like if the validator is making a fair amount, you would have to do this trade-off of, I mean, why would I want to buy this? If I can pay for it, then, I mean, like if the validator is making a fair fair amount of fees, then you're going to have to pay a lot for it. And then it's going to be a trade-off. Can I even make money during this time of, I guess this period, will, will it, yeah, I guess outpriced what I paid for it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that it's kind of this like interesting thing where like right now, like the overall like block space markets are like pretty nascent and like people haven't really started to like standardize or come to terms with what makes for like a good expiration for like a contract or like standard one. Like some people are doing like weeks, some people are doing like months. I don't know, like in Circle's case, like 
think about, I don't know, if they purchased a six to 12 month contract or something like that. There's no way of forecasting how much like fees might cost 10 months from now, really. So in that case, they might've actually purchased like a validator's revenue very cheaply relative to how much it's going, it might earn within the course of that year. I guess what if the, the person just shuts down their validator anyway? Like mid Yeah, so yeah, that's a very contentious topic. In spots where given like Bloxus market is physically settled, right? Like where the ETH that a validator is earning or the Bitcoin that a miner is mining is like actually physically delivered to the buyer of the contract, right? There is this concept of what if the validator goes offline? What if it like gets slashed? What yeah. if it's slashed on purpose by the seller, right? What if the miner like goes offline or the data center the miner's in is harmed or, or, or whatever, right? And often like this kind of comes down to the given protocol or the company that is like offering or, or like helping you like broker these deals with the with the seller, right? Where they might like also require the seller to like post some additional collateral or additional margin that um, can be used to like offset potential downtime of the block producer, right? Common things are like on on markets that aren't like on chain, like somewhere between 30 and 60% collateral additionally, depending on your working relationship with the firm and just like additional like vetting of your firm and, and stuff. On chain, like right now, like Okimia is like over collateralized, right? Just like how we would see like an Ave or like a compound market being, right? Mm -hmm. Just given to like, there's not really like a, con con like a legal contract binding, right? But, but yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. Like it's a interesting, it's definitely an interesting consideration and, and a risk as like a trader of it. It wouldn't be really decentralized. It'll be centralized in a way where you would have to do this kind of trade of a contract for block space. It wouldn't be fully decentralized. I can't imagine that happening unless there was some way yeah. of implementing that into the node and then having this market within the node itself. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I hear you. Like right now, like in Alchemia, like you just have to kind of like understand that like each day, like a validator is going to like come and deposit their revenue or like every few days they're like deposit their actual revenue. Right. But like I could see someone like launching like a, like a, I don't know, like a wrapper, like on top of like Alchemia where it's like, you know, you point your validators like address where like rewards are going to accrue to this like smart contract that integrated with Alchemia's vaults to where like the revenue you earn kind of immediately just sits in those vaults and then is distributed wherever you have contracts placed, right? Like I could see something like that happening. Something else that also becomes kind of interesting too is, and, and this is a little bit more, not necessarily like what exists in the market now, but a little bit forward looking. I don't really know how much of a demand there would be for this or, or like how many people might actually want this, but it kind of comes down to like actual like physical validator swaps. Like say you and I both operate a validator, right? Yeah. And you operate a validator and I have some cash. And I say like, I want to pay you for your validator. And I give you the cash, you give me a validator. Mm -hmm. But like how to do that, like that's happened, right? Manifold or whatever acquired like all those cream validators a little bit ago, right? Yeah. But like yep, how yep. does that happen in like a decentralized or like trustless way or whatever, right? I think the solution to that is DVT. We could like, I could like operate a validator with three or four like separate parties, right? Like I might have Coinbase and like Block Damon, whatever figment as like the like operators or like the like shared key holders of my validator. And then some type of smart contract, multi-sig, smart account kind of thing where I can enter into a contract with you and you can take over the control of my validator, right? I don't, I don't know. That's just yeah, something yeah. that's been interesting to me too, especially with a validator queue and like wanting to like completely hop it, right? 
Hmm. Yeah, I think like redirecting the revenue stream and having like a mapping towards that in some way would be useful. I'm just trying to think. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a fun experiment. I think that's the whole point of thinking of this is it could be like a massive thing, but it's just keep on like experimenting until you hit something that works, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's like the, that's the reason like I started with Jason. You know, I was just, I like actually just fundamentally interested in like how people design these things. And like how they're gonna like start like interacting with each other or like working with each other or how to trade against them, right? And kind of stumbled into just it also makes sense to like operate some infrastructure for these protocols and they can also be traded pretty pretty good as well. So are you doing like any other trading on just like normal derivatives as well? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Any kind of like normal derivatives, like on chain derivatives, et cetera. Yeah. Some interesting things are like when I started getting into this, like I'd never traded like any TradFi derivatives before, which is interesting. Like I feel like a lot of people I meet in the space that have done this have done that and that's how they got into it. We've kind of started like thinking about that a little bit and, and tinkering with those more so just to understand like what a, like what a like really well-functioning market looks like. Like I don't really have any like anything to really provide to like the oil market or, or, or whatever, right? It's not my not my niche, but those are longstanding and, and, and well-functioning markets. And then on the like DeFi and the crypto side, like I try and use like just about like every protocol, like per protocol or other derivative protocol that come, might come out, right? And, you know, I have a few that are, are my like go-tos for sure, but like I don't necessarily like outside of finding kind of like just these like interesting like trades like across like the squeeze trade. I'm not really running like a long short fund, you know, like. Is that like a goal you want to get to or? I don't know. I mean, I think so. Maybe event- like eventually one day, right? Like I, like right now we're a lot more like heavy, like research focused, okay. right? Rather than like fully like profit driven, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that like, one day, like it could be kind of interesting to like, you know, think about like, well, what does it look like to like raise a fund, right? And specialize in, in kind of like these niche markets, right? I feel like, I don't know, I don't think it makes the, I mean, it can, but I don't know how I feel about like doing like a normal or like traditional raise, right? Like, especially when like a lot of the protocols that like, it just doesn't feel DeFi native, right? And like a lot of the protocols that we use, like obviously are very DeFi native, right? So like I've tinkered around before with thinking through like what it would look like to start something like on like via like Enzyme, uh, their right. previous like Melon protocol. Right. Where it is, it's just kind of this like fund. Anyone can kind of like watch a fund and they have some nice guardrails and stuff like for investors and anyone just like openly invest in something and also manage it. I've definitely tinkered and, and thought about stuff like that before. And, and honestly, like that would probably be the route like over the next like year or so that like we kind of we kind of take. Right. As we kind of like look to like take adjacent to like the next step, I guess, like outside of just talking with people and, and putting out some research and awesome lists and doing some like manual or just like launching like just like differentiated tooling that like isn't per se like profit driven, I guess. Right. Hmm. And, and how did you really style your team as well? Was it just kind of like a group of friends came together or did you have to like go head hunting? No, no head hunting. And we're smaller, like just like a few people. Like, I, like so I actually work what I like. So like, I'm actually like, I guess the only like full-time <laughs> employee, <laughs> like okay. the only one like actually doing like all of it. And I was actually just talking to someone about this other day, like, what I found like made a lot of sense was like you like obviously like, I have a lot of like passion like across all of the all of these markets right but like some people don't or like have specific like interest in like really into options really into block space really into just infrastructure right so I just knew some people and and, and friends like in each spot and they just kind of helped me with various things along the way on on each one of those okay yeah I think it's good to get this 
the people that specialize and have them do the you know the specialized tasks rather than having jack of all trades because it's very hard to find the people yeah. jack of all trades actually insanely difficult yeah <laughs> whereas absolutely. you can kind of like split up tasks into like little modules and then find the people perfect for those little modules and kind of it all builds this big i guess platform or program uh or the grand vision eventually it's kind of something I've yeah lost few months actually yeah 100 and like the way i i see it too right is a lot of like adjacent interest areas or like you know things that i might like go after just give it it's just this we don't have like a, we're not building like one specific product right like we're involved in a lot of things and i've kind of realized that those interests like flow like with my interests right <laughs> as i start to get interested like recently like i've started really getting interested in like prediction markets right so like as my interests kind of like shift somewhere like if I had a like another like team member, right? There's no saying like like his or hers are going to go that way as well, right? So rather like maybe like as I start floating and in, in being interested in prediction markets, and I'm getting and I get a little bit closer in the communities there, someone would want to come on or like help me in some capacity on the prediction market side. Right? Mm. And this would be like running a prediction market, for example, or just like interacting with them. Inter- interacting with them, I, I, oh, like, yeah, I think the yeah, I mean, you know, we don't have to like. We, I mean, we can't get into them, I, I guess. Like, they're, like, interesting, like, where... Poly market's kind of, like, a big one, right? Like, then you have, like, some of the centralized ones predicted and whatever. But, like, all the, the prediction markets, like, there's things I'd look at, right? Which, like, do they use actual cash or crypto? Like, actual money, right? And, like, are the markets, like, created by the team? Or can anybody create a market? And how do the markets get resolved? Like, poly market resolves with UMA Oracle, but something like Manifold which doesn't have actual cash and markets are permissionless is just self-resolved by the person that created the market. Right. And so like, obviously like if there's not actual cash, there's nothing for like me to gain really outside of like research and like understanding that market for when somebody does launch one with similar aspects with cash. Right. Mm. But I I find them like a very like interesting category because like they are truly out there on the like most niche market you can get. Because mm. you can just trade like any event. Yeah. So yeah, if there's no money in it, then what's the point of interacting with it? Yeah. For example, like Polymarket is actual money. Right. And there's like a few on Solana that have started like slowly launching that are actual money as well. Tough part is just not really many traders on those given they're so new relative to Polymarket. Something like, for example, like on like Manifold, they are no money, but anyone can create a market. So like when you look at something like Polymarket, there's maybe only like 50 or like 100 markets or something like that. But when you look at Manifold, there's like legit like 30,000 markets, right? Because anyone can create it, right? And so it can be kind of like interesting to, you know, even if it's just like fake money or whatever, trade across them and then kind of like see and just like see like how people might create a market or how like they might like interact with the market, right? And the other interesting too is like just about all of those markets that I kind of like listed besides predict it and stuff, but like Polymarket and Manifold and Solana ones, are their underlying exchange is all based off of some type of AMM. Okay. So like Uniswap or SushiSwap, for example. Yeah, most of them are V2 styled. I think like Polymarket and Manifold have started experimenting with V3. But yeah, most of them are, are V2 styled with like some additional component of an off-chain order book to complement it. I guess the automation of this stuff would be quite interesting as well. Do you do uh, automation at all for it? Or is it all just kind of manual? When we like start, it'll just be kind of manual. But like, for example, like we're running like automated stuff on Polymarket and Manifold, even though again, Manifold isn't actual cash, but it's interesting to see the scale of the markets. 
Mm. And you kind of prepare for the real ones when they do come out. I'm pretty confident like in the next probably like, let's say like two years, like we'll have an actual cash kind of like open listing prediction market that has like some type of like really good like resolution solution. I think that's the primary criticism of Polymarket right now. Obviously, like Manifold's like self-resolving doesn't really like solve anything when you like introduce actual cash because people can just game it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's such a small tool or something. Yeah. I think like in the next few years, we will like really like have something like that. And I think it'd be pretty powerful. Like more on the centralized side, again, like it's not in DeFi, but like we've also been trading a little bit on Kalshi, which is okay. like fully CFTC regulated. And they moved away from like the prediction market like branding and they just call it you can trade events which i guess helps them with their regulation (laughs) and they let you trade stuff like every day you can bet on the weather in new york city what's the temperature gonna be oh what (laughs) you can also do stuff like you know betting on like the fed rate hike or something like that oh okay right and yeah it's definitely fun there's also like kind of crazy ones out there where they like they make you think a little bit like hey should we be listing that kind of market where it's like what's the probability that in 2020 in in the year 2023 like a hurricane hits florida or something like that right okay so right. it's like that would be like a very long prediction though like you would have to wait until 20 you know like that time yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. like they they're definitely like longer term they can be longer term contracts or they could be super short daily weather right but to me it's just like really interesting to like actually move more away from i don't know just like asset prices right yeah to what would be the price you would associate with a given event at a given time. Yeah, it's like, okay, people gambling on probability. Well, I guess that's all gambling, really. Yeah. Hmm, it's interesting. And I, I guess, how do you like manage your time as well if, you, if you're working full-time and also doing adjacent? Yeah, so yeah, so like full-time work, right? I kind of do like infrastructure, devops some some programming stuff what inside of Yeah. Yeah, it relates to what it relates to what we're doing in, in terms of infrastructure, right? So like that makes it like super quick and easy to kind of like build like proof of concepts, add additional like marketing or not marketing, monitoring, pull in like data from like new markets and kind of just like observe these markets and stuff, as well as like alerts and, and you know, all that. That's super helpful there. So like a majority of my time kind of like outside like after work or you know, I try and spend some like a little bit when I wake up and then, you know, like post dinner. Um on understanding like new markets like reading papers like reading docs collecting and thinking about like collecting information you know writing and thinking about these new markets or like where like a trade might be right to where maybe the weekends are are the time where i can either do some of the like manual trading or like initially Uh do the manual trading and kind of start to automate it right i think to automate anything you've got to be good at doing it manually and then once you understand manual approach in quite some depth you can develop like an algorithm to do it for you and you know intuitively what the heuristics are yeah or like what you should be looking for or like how it should yeah yeah Yeah, feel like yeah common patterns and what to expect when something happens yeah it's like a good it's like the best way i think i think to do that i think like right in the beginning of our conversation where we discussed of, of like you know how do you kind of just like dive into this and, and like get up, get get into all of this? You know, with regards to like my time management now, like putting in all of that work on, on the front end, focused on building on a base layer and like having a really good means for like information consumption of like new stuff of what's going on and all the trends and everything really set me up to like manage my time really well, right? Because like, you know, like you could you could spend your entire day just, just like reading new news and new yeah. consumption, right? But like having like a feed that maybe only takes you like half an hour a day or 20 minutes a day or something like that is mm-hmm. like 
seven out of 10, super high quality or something like that really helps you there. Yeah, I agree. I think even with like whatever small amount you t- of time you have, it's it's also very important to get into like a focused state because you can accomplish so much in such a small amount of time if you're really like intensely focused. For example, today I just woke up and instantly grabbed my laptop, started coding for like four hours, didn't even realize I haven't even started my day. <laughs> like I just woke up, instantly started coding and then four hours went by. I was like, oh wait, I should be eat or something. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, like, I you just some... got to lock in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think doing that as early as possible in a day as well is important because then you're building, you're like compounding small little wins where it motivates you more the later you go down in the day to do even better, I guess, habit stuff. Like, take, you know, make better decisions rather than, you know, if you wake up and, I don't know, do something not really good, then it's like a loss. Like, a very small one, but it, it does, like, compound later through the day and you have to fight back with the winds, etc. Which, I, yeah, I only just really noticed that. Like, for example, if you don't make your bed and your environment is very messy, then I guess that goes into your mind as well. Oh, maybe you don't, like, necessarily think about it, but it's underlying in a way. Yeah, no, that's just kind of my observation with that stuff as well. But yeah, we have hit an hour, and this has been quite interesting. <laughs> For derivatives, the world I've never really explored, it's interesting to see how it all plays out, especially if it goes like fully decentralized derivatives and options, etc. Yeah, it's, it's going to be quite an interesting field, especially imagine ZK as well, with like derivatives, etc. Mm-hmm. And like cross-chain. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. some interesting projects. Oh, Renegade. And they're, you know, utilizing uh, like ZKs to kind of build the dark pools for trading, right? Um, and I think like stuff like that's pretty interesting. And, and I think like a lot of people are trying to, you know, add in some some like base layer of privacy to a lot of this stuff, which is fun to watch as, as, as well. Yeah, it's going to be quite interesting. There's so much innovation happening now as well. I mean, it's always been happening, but I think I'm quite biased in my field as well. Whatever field you're in, you kind of see what's out there already and what's possible. And then, and personally, I get excited to see whether someone like beats me to it or someone does something I didn't even think of, but maybe thought about like, a little bit in some way and they just made it the bigger system. But yeah, man, thank you so much for coming on. I, I appreciate your time finally getting to speak and great to connect finally. This is kind of a common theme of me finally talking to people <laughs> for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you reaching out and coming on here. I've been listening to the podcast every week, so looking forward to finally being on it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And if anyone wants to come on or wants to suggest someone to come on, just DM me at Scraping Bits on Twitter and I'll get back to you. Otherwise, thank you so much, Nate, for coming on and I'll see you in the next episode.